Hello, my name is Chrissy Champagne and you are listening to Residue, a true crime podcast dedicated to keeping you paranoid. Except today we're going to try something a little different. And I thought that since it's almost Valentine's Day and just love is in the air, that we would go and explore something called hybristophilia. And so do not feel sad this Valentine's Day if you don't have a special someone to share it with, because at least you're not married to a serial killer. I just wanted to see what he looked like. I think he's cute. Everyone makes him look so bad, you know, but I know that he's he's a nice person because I've met him and I know. You just heard two women talking about their feelings for Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez, as we all know, was a notorious American serial killer. He was a rapist and a burglar, and he left a trail of terror through California in the summer of 1985. He was nicknamed the Night Stalker. It was also said, and I know this is something that's um, talked about a lot when we discuss Ramirez, but his mouth was just full of rotting teeth. So... Now think back to what those women just said, and you're just kind of like, oh my god, doesn't he sound just so cute? No, so disgusting. I'm going to do a longer episode just focused mainly on Ramirez at some point, because Richard Ramirez was the serial killer that when I was younger and I had heard this story all over the place, I was fascinated by the fact that he had all these groupies. It even as a young, a young child, I knew like This is so wrong. What is wrong with you people? I mean, I get daddy issues, but Richard Ramirez killed anyone ranging from age 9 to 79. And the guy had no MO. His only MO was, I'm going to sneak in your house at night and you're going to die. I just wanted to know what turned these women on when they thought about Richard Ramirez. Hybristophilia is the sexual interest in and attraction to those that commit crimes. You also might have heard this called the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Some people who fall in love with serial killers believe that they can change the person. Others might see the child and what could have become of them, and so they feel the need to seek them out and nurture them as if they can change them. I feel strongly that a lot of them just hoped to have some time in the media because You know, in the late 80s, early 90s, there were so many talk shows just focused on this and so many guests called groupies of Ramirez, Dahmer, Bundy, Manson. I have also always thought that a huge reason might be because you the man or the woman is in jail. They're behind bars. They can't do anything. They can't cheat on you. Um, You know where they are at all times. You know that it's sort of like a control you have over them. Basically, you don't have to deal with the day-to-day issues of a real relationship. 
Low self-esteem and lack of a father figure also are believed to play into the hybristophilia. A few examples of hybristophilia involve Jeffrey Dahmer. He was getting a huge amount of letters and fan mail in the mail. Girls were sending him money. They were sending him gifts. And this was despite the fact that everyone knew that his sexual preference was not women. So women were still throwing themselves at him. And we also had, of course, Ted Bundy was a huge one. Girls were just enamored by him and his looks. He actually ended up getting married in prison, and he married Carol Ann Boone. Carol Ann Boone's relationship with Bundy was a little bit different, though, because she knew him beforehand. The two had formed a relationship at their job in the Department of Emergency Services in Olympia, Washington. And at this point, Carol Ann was going through her second divorce when she had met Bundy in that office. Carol Ann didn't know that Ted Bundy was already in the midst of kidnapping, raping, and murdering young women. She said of Bundy, He struck me as a rather shy person with a lot more going on under the surface than what was on the surface. He certainly was more dignified and restrained than the more certifiable types around the office. I guess I was closer to him than other people at the agency. I liked Ted immediately. We hit it off well. Okay, Carol, you hit it off well before you knew he was Ted Bundy. The Ted Bundy. So then you decided to marry him anyway. Carol Ann and Ted Bundy conceived a child while he was locked up and acting as his own defense attorney in the trial for the murder of a 12-year-old girl named Kimberly Leach. These two lovers carried on their relationship until they finally divorced three years before Ted Bundy was put to death by electric chair on January 24th, 1989. Another surprising marriage was Angelo Buono Jr. You might know him as one half of the Hillside Stranglers. The Hillside Stranglers tortured and killed 10 females, one of those victims being only 12 years old. Kenneth Bianchi was Angelo Buono's cousin, and he was the other half of the Hillside Stranglers. These two both got married in prison. It's crazy how some people can't find love at all, and these guys are just like, they can, they can have a pick of whoever they want at this point. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me. Angelo Buono Jr., he ended up marrying a woman named Christine Kazuka, and he met Christine because her husband was actually in the same prison. They were at Folsom Prison in California, and the two of them met because Christine used to come in all the time and visit her husband, but then she got divorced. So she ended up striking up a relationship with a very well-known horrid serial killer. You know how it happens, you just casually meet a convicted serial killer, and you guys become BFFs. A close friend of Christine actually said about her, she is a very bright woman. She has a college degree and a teacher's credential. I just don't know why she made this move. I think he brainwashed her to the point that he has made her believe he is not guilty. 
Shirley Joyce Book would go on to marry the other half of the Hillside Stranglers, Kenneth Bianchi. Shirley and Kenneth married in 1989. They met because she was sending him fan mail, so the two became pen pals. And they only met in person the very day before their wedding. The two married at the Washington State Penitentiary, and then they did some wedding photos for the National Enquirer. Little known fact, before Shirley Book married Kenneth Bianchi, she tried to woo Ted Bundy. So she was also trying to get in contact with Ted Bundy, but he was like, nah, I'm going for Carol. Shirley Book filed for divorce in 1993. The marriage only lasted about four years, and this was because she discovered that Kenneth was still writing and um, pen paling with other female fans from behind bars. So, I mean, even though your man is in prison, you really can't be sure that he's not cheating on you. So let's get back to Richard Ramirez, who had probably the most sensationalized marriage behind bars. Here's a headline from that time. Richard Ramirez had death row wedding to mega fan virgin Doreen Leoy, age 41. It's a great headline. Doreen spoke to CNN and this is what she said about Richard Ramirez. He's kind, he's funny, he's charming. I think he's really a great person. He's my best friend. He's my buddy. Doreen Leoy was born in 1955 in Burbank, California. She has a twin. And everyone said of her, her friends and her family all said, that Doreen seemed to live in a fantasy world. So in the early 1980s, her life was just beginning to spiral out of control. It was known that she struggled to form relationships and she was a bit of a loner um, compared to her twin who was just super successful, very outgoing. Doreen worked at Tiger Beat magazine, which we all know Tiger Beat, right? New Kids on the Block, River Phoenix, all my biggest crushes, loved Tiger Beat. Doreen worked at Tiger Bee as a journalist. And a little a little fun fact that I found out while researching this is that John Stamos actually credits Doreen to making his career happen. John Stamos has said that he remembered Doreen as a, quote, very lonely woman. And he later reflected on her marriage to Richard Ramirez by saying, to be that lonely that this is the only man on the planet that she can find, I just thought, how horrible. This man is the personification of evil. Just a monster. So Tiger Beat wants to move their offices from LA to the East Coast, and Doreen doesn't want to move. So she stays in LA, but she's finding it hard to find a new job. So she ends up having to move into her grandmother's house because she's just not able to pay her bills. Everything is just becoming very financially difficult for her. This is when she's at the lowest point in her life, and she is watching TV one night, and a newscast comes on showing the pictures of Richard Ramirez. And this is when she said that she knew that she was supposed to be with him or meet him. She said that when she saw the picture of Richard Ramirez broadcasted on the news, that his eyes just captivated her. 
She said that she just felt an instant attraction to him and that his eyes were, quote, eyes of a lost puppy. Doreen said that she didn't see this horrible monster when she looked at Richard. She saw a, quote, vulnerable, handsome guy. A lot of girls thought this at this point because I was watching an interview with some detectives that were there for the the trial, and one of the detectives said that when you walked into the courtroom, it was just, the whole back row was just full of beautiful, attractive, young, goth-looking women. And I've seen some of these women in these interviews, they're attractive. Richard Ramirez was giving them the eyes, He was like flashing them little smiles during the case, and he chose Doreen, mega virgin fan. Could be a teen beat, tiger beat title. And see, that's why I think Doreen went for this, because lost her job at Tiger Beat, very depressed, felt like she wasn't achieving as much as her sister. I mean, she's a journalist. She knew what was going on. She went straight for someone she knew she could correspond with and get him interested in her. It's like a cover of Tiger Bee, Serial Killers Edition. Doreen starts writing to Richard every single day, and she wrote over 70 letters to him while he was incarcerated. In 1988, Ramirez proposes to Doreen, and they don't get married until 1996. They were married in San Quentin, and they were not allowed to spend the night together after they got married, so Doreen did remain a virgin, and they did not allow conjugal visits in California if you were on death row. There were actually three other death row weddings on the same day that Doreen and Richard got married, So they were allotted a 15-minute time period in order to exchange vows, which they did, and they also exchanged rings. Doreen got Richard a 14-karat gold ring that read, I love you forever, Doreen. And his platinum ring for her said, To my one and only love, Richard. Doreen said about her wedding day, I'm ecstatically happy today and very, very proud to have married Richard and to be his wife. Although later she did admit that being a death row wife was a, quote, lonely lifestyle. Doreen stood by Richard, never wavering in her support for him, and she had said to a reporter, I just believe in him completely. In my opinion, there was far more evidence to convict O.J. Simpson, and we all know how that turned out. This fairy tale is about to end, though, because in 2009, DNA samples were gathered in a 1984 cold case, and it proved conclusively that Richard Ramirez raped and brutally butchered a nine-year-old girl in a satanic ritual human sacrifice. I think Doreen was able to believe in him and, you know, believe that he didn't do any of these other crimes. And with this one, she just couldn't get over it. She had the, the evidence right in front of her face now, the DNA evidence. Before this, Doreen was always publicly saying that The day that Richard Ramirez was going to be put to death, that she was going to commit suicide that day. That's how much she loved him and believed in their bond. But now, she leaves Richard Ramirez. 
I read that it is believed that she divorced him, but there weren't any documents to be found stating that was the fact. We do know that she did not go back and see him again. On June 7th, 2013, Richard Ramirez died of complications secondary to B-cell lymphoma. At the time of his death in 2013, it is said that Ramirez was engaged to a 23-year-old writer, and no one ever picked up his ashes from San Quentin. Since Ramirez was never put to death on death row, he never had a chance to give his final words. But at his very last sentencing, he did address the court, and what he said was, You don't understand me. You are not expected to. You are not capable. I am beyond your experience. I am beyond good and evil. I will be avenged. It's total husband material right there, right? In a Psychology Today article, Dr. Katherine Ramsland noted, Mental health experts say some women who are attracted to killers are simply love avoidant. They seek relationships that can never actually be consummated because of an underlying fear of intimacy. She goes on to say that females prefer the larger, louder, more aggressive males who show clear markers of their maleness. In humans, then, certain women might sense in an aggressive male a larger-than-life companion who can deliver more than an ordinary man could. Through him, she subconsciously perceives she gains status and protection. If there was one thing that was common with all of these women, it was probably insecurity and a willingness to have their sense of self determined by the men they were involved with. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Residue. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on any of your preferred listening platforms. It really helps us to gain new followers just like you who might enjoy the show. I just have to say one more thing before we go today. I want you all to have the greatest Valentine's Day ever. Don't write any letters to any serial killers in jail. And stay paranoid. Don't forget to find me on Instagram at Residue Podcast, on Facebook at Residue, a true crime podcast, and on threads at Residue, a true crime podcast. I also still have stickers. I've been sending them out to people with little thank you notes. If you do leave me a five-star review, just take a screenshot of it, send it to me in my DMs with your address, and I'll send you a little gift.